Good evening, everyone. Okay, so as you know, or as you've maybe heard, we are busy with our um, sermon series on prayer. And um, the first sermon of this series was three weeks ago. And if you haven't heard this one, I want you to, uh, I want to ask you to please go and listen to it. It is online on YouTube. Um, and it's, it was about the simple prayer. Um, praying where you are, praying what you can, praying what's in your heart. And that is a very important pl place to start with prayer, because if you don't start there, um, all of these others, other sermons and topics and types of prayer um, will feel like a format that you should follow, or it will feel like rules that you have to follow. Um, and that's, that's not the idea. The idea is to firstly pray um, honestly. Okay, so that was the first sermon. Then we looked at adoration. If we think of um, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the first thing that the Lord Jesus um, teaches us to pray, is to hallow God's name, to make God holy in our lives. Then we talked about contemplative prayer last week. Vera led us in that talk. And um, that is, in a sense, a bit of a different topic because, in my mind, it's not about the content of your prayer. It's more about the way you pray, where you meditate um, on God's words or on a prayer or um, on a, a, a story or an image or whatever. Um, so that was last week. And now this week we are speaking about intercession. So... Now, simply put, um, you said it, intercession is praying for others. Intercession is standing in that gap, praying on behalf of those who maybe don't pray because they don't believe or maybe can't pray because they are ill, um, or maybe coming alongside those who are already praying and strengthening their prayers, echoing their prayers before God. Now, I'd like to tell you a story uh, and the sound suddenly became very atmospheric. Um, a story about a mother, a single mother in a northern African town who had a baby boy. And she prayed for this baby boy every evening with her hand on his forehead. And she prayed for his, for his soul and for his salvation and his future. And this baby boy grew up to be a drunk, womanizing philosopher who hated the scriptures, and the Christian faith. And when this boy was 19 years old, she had a dream. And she believed uh, in this dream that God was promising to answer her prayers that she's been praying for the past 19 years. And um, she was very excited about this. But a year passed, and nothing changed. And another year passed, and another year passed, and nothing changed in his life. And she kept on praying more intensely for him and wrestling with God. God, why are you not uh, fulfilling your promise? I believe you told me this thing in this dream. And nine years after she had this dream, um, he told her he wants to go to Rome. And Rome was known for its godlessness. Um, and she was very negative about this prospect of him going to Rome, and she also prayed um, fervently that he would not go, but he did. And in Rome, in this godless city, he sat one day in a garden, and he says he heard the audible voice of God. 
And this was an experience that he could not deny. And at once he went to the scriptures that he came to despise, and he looked in it, and he discovered, and he read, and he read. And then and there, he, be, he devoted his life to Christ. Now, this man was St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians of all time, living in the 300s, um, and also one of the fathers of the early church. And that's his story. That's how he, he came to faith. Now, another name uh, in our South African church history context that stands out to me when I think about intercession is Andrew Murray and the Murray family. So, just a bit of history. In the 17 and the early 1800s, um, the Cape Colony was a spiritual wilderness. There were not many churches. Um, the Dutch East India Company uh, controlled all of the congregations that were established and controlled all of the ministers that were put um, in, in service. And uh, they were obviously not doing a very good job. So there were about six congregations um, for the first 150 years, only six churches, um, and the, it was all in Dutch, and the people didn't really speak Dutch anymore very well. They um, were now becoming more and more Afrikaans and the French influences and all of that. So the people weren't exactly excited about going to church, and I, they didn't feel they had access to God. They couldn't read the Bible or anything. So they weren't really interested in church. Uh, there was There's a, a pastor who um, led a congregation in Calfinia who despaired that for six years he couldn't convince a single person to attend a prayer meeting. Um, so I'm thinking you and Anthony Christine are doing very well, you're two at least, every Wednesday morning, which is double what that uh, church was. So that was the atmosphere um, during that time. Now, in uh, 1795, something important in our history happened, and that is that the British took over rule, uh, rulership over the Cape. And um, in a very interesting and I think unexpected way, this led to a revival in uh, um, the spiritual atmosphere in South Africa, because uh, the British rulership brought a couple of Scottish ministers um, to lead the congregations and establish new congregations in, in South Africa, in the Cape Colony. And um, one, of, one of these were Andrew Murray Sr. And he led a church, um, he went to Grafrenet and led a church there, and for 38 years, every Friday evening, he prayed for revival in the Cape Colony. Every Friday evening, he had his prayer hour for revival for 38 years. Now, he had two sons, um, Andrew and John Murray, and when Andrew was 10 years old, they were sent to Scotland to um, study further and to study theology, and after that, they went to Utrecht to learn Dutch as well um, so that they can come back and reach uh, the people in South Africa. And um, when they returned, Andrew Murray was 20 years old, which was two years too young to be a, a minister. So um, they sent him to the mission field. They sent him to, as an evangelist to the, uh, to the Boers in the Free State and the Transvaal. And for 11 years, he served among these people, really getting to know Afrikaans and the people and um, the, you know, the relationships and all of that. 
And then, um, later on, he was appointed at the congregation in Wooster. And in 1859, three pastors, three of them published a challenge to ministers throughout the country to preach a series of sermons on the character of God, the role of the Holy Spirit, and the need for both corporate and private prayer for the outpouring of the Spirit. And this is how they, uh, what their challenge was. They said, an awakening can occur through the abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that the gift of the Holy Spirit is promised in answer to prayer is a truth that is clearly taught in Scripture. We earnestly beseech you to faithfully and fervently pray one hour every week with others or alone that God, by His grace, may visit our land and give us the blessing of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, a number of small prayer meetings began, three people in Montague and four people in, in Wooster and so on. And then there was a conference in 1860 in Wooster. And 370 delegates were sent to this conference from 20 different uh, congregations. And the conference began with an uh, exposition, exposition of the scriptural basis for revival. And the people who were there, the, the eyewitness accounts say to them, that is where the revival of the 1860s um, in South Africa began. People from all walks of life came to faith and prayer meetings were overflowing, the devotions were deepened, um, conviction of sin came over the congregations, confession of sin, earnest restitution, church buildings had to be enlarged, uh, mission stations were established, missionaries were sent out, Andrew Murray actually approached Paul Krier and asked if his farm near Rustenburg can be turned into a mission station, which it was. And um, Christian schools were established, Christian uh, tertiary centers for education for women were established. Many things flew from, uh, fr or flowed from this, uh, even flew, um, from this prayer, from this revival, from this conference um, that happened. There was a Christian newspaper that declared the whole society has been changed. Yes, literally turned upside down. In Grafrenet, they say there was a, a prayer meeting that started after the Sunday service, and the people were so powerfully aware of the Spirit's presence that they stayed until Tuesday midday before leaving church. They prayed all the way from Sunday to, to Tuesday. Now, this person who was a central figure because of his prayers, Andrew Murray, is the author of 200 books and booklets. Some of it he wrote in English, some of it in Dutch. It has been translated into many languages. It has been in print for over 100 years. Andrew Murray and the rest of the Murray family were the movers behind many of, of these things that were seen. And they were absolutely rooted in prayer. Um, someone recalled walking one day with Andrew Murray down the street and for a moment Murray stopped and the person asked him, are you okay, is everything fine? And he said, yes, I just lost the presence of God for a moment. That is how in prayer, continuously in prayer, he was. Now, Murray's challenge in one of his books 
is live in the bold and holy confidence that God is able to bless his church through you. God is really only waiting for prayer in order to give the blessing. Now, would you be so bold as to say something like that? Would you be so bold as to say that history belongs to the intercessors? There are people sitting in this room who have prayed for things, and their prayers were answered. And there are people sitting in this room who prayed for things whose prayers were not answered. They did not get healed. The person weren't healed. The person still died. Or they didn't get the job, and they remain unemployed. Or they prayed for someone's soul, but the person still despises God and mocks Christianity. So what do we do or say about this difficult point that we are in, this balance that we are trying to keep to, to have our sanity? The thing is that unanswered prayers often um, make us pray the safest kind of prayers, the ones that are so passive and vague that we wouldn't even know if God answered them or not. This is not in line with how Jesus commands us to pray. We see in many places, in all four of the Gospels, where he tells us to pray boldly. I'm going to read two verses. One is in uh, John 14, verse 13 to 14. Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then one chapter later, in John 15, verse 7, he says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If we really took Jesus' words seriously, we would have a hard time stopping each other to pray. So why don't we pray fervently for each other? for the world, for healing, for revival, for conversion, for a God-fearing government, for ESCOM, for, um, for earphones, for joy, for peace. Why don't we pray fervently for these things? Take a moment and think of your prayers of the past week. Let's say God answered each and every one of your prayers that you prayed the past week. How different would your life look? How different would your week have been? Now, with the exception of one or two very bold and naive people, the answer is not very different. Naivety is out of fashion these days. It's much cooler to be cynical about everything. But there isn't much, much space for cynicism in the prayers of a righteous person. If you are cynical, and I understand why people get cynical in prayers, if you are cynical, then at least pray like the father of the demon-possessed boy that we read of in Mark 9. Jesus uh, was asked to, to heal the boy, and the father told Jesus, if you can do anything, 
Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus answered, if I can, are you kidding me? <laughs> if I can do anything, all things are possible for one who believes. And the man answered, I believe, help my unbelief. At least pray that prayer. I believe, Lord. I believe in you. I know your character. I know who you've proven to be in my life, but you're not coming through to me in this. Help my unbelief. Help me to keep on praying. So do our prayers even matter? The answer is very much. Timothy Keller writes, It is part of God's goodness and appointment that he allows the world to be susceptible to our prayers. How he does this, how he maintains control of history and yet still makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. How he maintains control of history and yet still makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. Practical because it influences our everyday activity, and yet we don't truly understand how it works. Murray says, the power of the church to truly bless rests on intercession, asking and receiving heavenly gifts to carry to others. Mary goes on to, to say there can be an earnest Christian life, an honest Christian, in which there is prayer enough to keep us from backsliding. He calls this a defensive prayer. We maintain our position without much growth in spirituality or Christ-likeness. We just seek to ward off temptation through these prayers rather than the aggressive prayers, reaching out after higher attainment, if we are to grow in strength with some large experience of God's power to sanctify ourselves and to bring down real blessing on others, there must be more definite and persevering prayer. Now at this point, I would have loved to say, all right, open your Bibles with me in this book at this chapter, and we're going to read from this verse to this verse. But I have to be honest, I had scripture paralysis when preparing for this. Because in every book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, you see intercession. Either where some person intercedes for someone else or for a group, or where in the Gospels, Jesus um, tells us how to pray, or in the epistles with Paul or the other authors where they tell us to keep on praying, to pray without ceasing, to pray um, with perseverance, and so on. In every book, think of Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, King Hezekiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of the other prophets, all of the priests, even some of the kings, they all interceded for others. Now this fact on its own, the fact that we can literally open any book in the Bible and talk about intercession in that book is supposed to show us that intercession is, in the first place, for everyone. Intercession is not a spiritual gift that some of us have and others don't. All of us 
are called to pray. All of us are called to intercede for others. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it is to be done continuously in all circumstances throughout the ages. Intercession and prayer is a calling for everyone. Now, in, in Genesis 1, if we have to choose a book and a chapter, let's start at page 1, um, God created Adam. Adam meaning human, man, mankind. He created mankind to rule over creation. We were created to be intercessors, to be managers, to be people who stand in the gap between the creator and his creation, to rule over it. We, are, we were created to participate with God in managing his creation in selfless love. But then Genesis 3 came, the fall. Satan deceived Adam. Satan deceived mankind. And we forfeited our role as God's intercessors. This authority that we had was usurped by the devil. There's a communication breach between the creator and between the managers that he appointed. God created an inseparable connection between his mind and our action. We are Christ's body on earth, but this line of communication was broken in the fall. We all see the dysfunction around us. We see this creation being in pain and suffering and oppression and injustice, but we are unable to set it right. We can't recreate just like that. But there's a promise. In Isaiah, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. This is a political statement. This is a statement of authority. Jesus says at the end of Matthew, uh, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The authority that we lost, he has won back. And now, through prayer, he restored that communication breached, breach that happened in the fall. Prayer is the way that we can now rule, that we can now manage, that we can now intercede, that we can now effect actual change in the world around us. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are calling on this authority of Jesus. We are saying in, in his name, in his capacity, we are praying for these things. We are praying for heaven to come on earth. We intercede, we pray, before Jesus. And then Romans 8 tells us in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And a few verses on, it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's read it again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised and won the victory in being risen. And he is now at the right hand of God, interceding for us. We see what is going on in the world around us, and we intercede on behalf of the world. But we do this with our limited knowledge, our limited wisdom, our limited perspective, our limited power. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus then intercedes on our behalf to God. They translate our prayers to God. This is a huge consolation. It means even if we don't know if our prayers are the right prayers, pray them because Jesus are translating them into the right prayers to God. Pray them because the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are in that sense, the manager of the heavenly resources. What are we as a church doing with all this authority, with these resources we have at hand, with this capacity we have to bless, to pray, to intercede for the world? What are we doing with this authority? Intercession is a profound act of love. Do you care enough to pray diligently, to intercede fervently. Richard Foster writes, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer, even self-giving prayer. In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. It is through intercession that God's kingdom is coming, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So, in a moment, I am going to ask you to pray together, to turn to each other and to pray, either for something that that person you are praying with, asks you to pray for, for them, or for something that there are some general things that we can always pray for and that we are always asked for in the Bible to pray for. These are, for example, um, the government or those who rule over us, the evangelists, those who are um, bringing the word to people who haven't heard, the church, our friends, our fellow countrymen, the sick, enemies, those who are Persecuted those who persecute us, those who fail us. For all people, we can intercede. We are a community. We 
come together on a Sunday as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. We must carry each other in prayer. It is our duty and our privilege to do this. So I want to ask a very bold thing of you, and that is to turn to each other and to pray. And if you are feeling a bit self-aware, if you don't like praying out loud, if you don't know what to pray, if, you know, whatever the reason might be, this is very uncomfortable to you, remember that this is not about you. This is about the person you are praying for or the group you are praying for. And you have authority to bless them, to intercede, to stand in that gap before God. So do that. Don't be a spectator. Go and stand in that gap. All right, so um, there were a few things mentioned before the service that you can also pray for. Andrea, who's in the Congo. Um, I didn't think we actually talked about Johan and Lorraine, but um, they always need prayer as our leaders, but now they especially need prayer um, with their children that are a bit ill, and Lorraine's dad passed away recently, and Johan is still struggling to recover from his heart attack. So you can always pray for them as well. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us, help us in this task of praying, of interceding. Lord, remind us. Remind us to pray. Wake us up at night. Put things on our heart to pray for. Let it be like a pebble in our shoe that's not leaving us until we pray for those people and things and, and institutions and countries. Lord, that we will not simply go through life as spectators of everything that's happening around us, but that we will take the position that you give us, the position of authority. We don't have to be spectators. We can actually participate through prayer, through intercession. And Lord, as it has this ring of, we can't do anything, so we'll pray. But that's not the truth. We can pray, and then we do other things. Convince us of that truth, Lord. Help our unbelief. We believe that prayer has an impact. Help our unbelief, Lord. Lord, as we go into this week, as we go into our fast, show us, guide us, walk this road with us. Show us what we can pray for. Lord, I am convinced that it's not a coincidence that there are many things in our congregation that we can pray for at this stage, one of which is Johan and Lorraine. Lord, we want to intercede for them this week. Remind us. Lord, heal them. Heal the boys that are ill. Heal Johan's heart. Heal Lorraine's 
emotional hurt. Bless them as a family, Lord, as they are also the leaders of our congregation. Remind us that we should carry them in this time. And Lord, there are many other prayer requests that I don't know of in this room. I pray that you will also give us the boldness to ask each other for prayer, to ask each other to intercede for us. It is a very, very powerful ministry, a powerful weapon that you have given your church. And we are not using it as we should. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are interceding on our behalf, that you are translating our prayers, even our groans that are too deep for words. Holy Spirit, that you are interceding for us. Thank you that we should not be paralyzed by fear that, that we might pray against your will, that you will still do things according to your wisdom and your eternal perspective, but that we can fervently pray for you to set things right that are wrong around us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross, for the victory, for the resurrection. Thank you for pouring out the Spirit, that we can have the Spirit in us at all times. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.